Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he's teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, 
which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all of the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Righto, for those who are listening to the recording and they can't see that statement that's up on the screen, I'm just going to read it. There are ten types of people in the world, those who understand binary and those who don't. Righto, I want you to put up your hand if you get it. Put your hand up if you get this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, there's eight of you that get it. I'm actually surprised at that. I didn't know there'd be that many people who got this. Um, would I be right in saying that most of you who get it have a mathematical brain? No, you don't, but you've heard that before and we've explained it to you. You know binary. Okay, wow. All right. All right, now, so some of you get it, not many. Now, I reckon if I now explain it, a few more of you will get it but there'll still be a whole bunch who don't. So let's give it a go. Our numbering system that we use most of the time is what's known as the decimal system, right? So deci meaning 10, it is base 10. So we go through 10 different digits, zero through to nine before we run out of digits. And so we then go back to one again, one and zero. So that's where we get to 10, right? Base 5 would go through digits 0 through to 4 before you put a 1 in front of it and go back to 0, right? So 1, 0 would be the equivalent of the decimal system 5. 1, 4 would be the equivalent of the decimal system 9. 2, 0 would be equivalent of the decimal system 10. Are you with me so far? Some of you are going, uh, uh, righto. Binary is base two. And this is essentially is the mathematical ability of a computer, right? The brain of the computer can basically only count to two. Um, it's basically a series of switches. It can only think in two ways, either off or on. No matter how big the computer, my understanding is there's just more and more tiny little switches in there switching off and on, off and on, off and on. Right? So it can only think in two ways, either off or on, zero or one. So zero equals zero. One equals one. One zero equals two. One one equals three. What do you think number four would be? One zero zero. Right? Therefore, if we were to express the decimal number 10 as binary, it would be 1010. I'm 49 years old this year. Everybody goes, wow, you're old. Um, but in binary, I'm really old. I'd be 110001. It sort of looks like I'm 110,000 years and one old. Um, so now do you get it? Right? There are one zero types of people in the world, those who understand binary and those who don't. Put up your hand if you now get it. 
One extra person, now, two extra people now get it. Okay. All right. So right at the beginning, some of you got it. And then I explained it and a few more of you got it. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, I know the point he's trying to make, but I don't really get it. And some of you are thinking, it's probably time we find another church. I just don't get this preacher anymore. He just goes off on these tangents. I just don't understand anything he says. Essentially, what I've just done is I've divided us, right? I've divided us between those who are on the inside, those who get it, and those who are on the outside, those who don't get it. By the way, if you still don't get binary, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's obviously not important for you. In fact, um, this little illustration, I think, is probably the first time I've really had a use for binary since I learned about it in, in um, my early years of high school, 100100 years ago. By the way, that's 36 years ago that I would have been, been about 13. Unless you're a mathematician or unless you're a computer engineer or a software engineer, it's probably not important for you to understand binary. But what is important for us and, it, and where there is another great divide is for us to be able to get the teachings of Jesus. It, it's to have a responsive spirit to the word of God so that we understand it and we receive it and we obey. Now, when I was going to Bible college, um, and Bible college wasn't the only place that I was told this, it was just the, the general feeling amongst churches at the time, we were being told that if you're a preacher, then it's really important that you use stories, okay? We were getting told people don't want to listen to sermons anymore. They want to listen to stories because people don't remember sermons, but they do remember stories. And there's a fair bit of truth in that. But essentially what we were being told is Jesus used stories, you know, all right? And so stories, that's the best way of teaching. Jesus used stories. He did it so that everybody could understand better. But you know what? Jesus actually told stories. He told parables for exactly the opposite reason. Jesus told parables so that some people would get it and everybody else wouldn't have a clue. They'd just be left in the dark. He said to his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, so that they indeed may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That sounds crazy. Why would Jesus be choosing a teaching method that would be keeping people in the dark? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Only those who are spiritually responsive to the word of God will understand turn and be forgiven and this is God's choice and some people might be offended by this they're troubled by the concept of God's divine choice but here Mark doesn't explain it he doesn't defend it he merely records it and accepts it as a given it's God's divine choice 
that some people get it and others don't get it. There are some people who are on the inside and some people who are on the outside. And when I actually started thinking about this, I could see this was a real positive. Because in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells us that everyone who asks receives. He tells us that everyone who seeks finds. He tells us that everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And what that's telling me is if in my heart I am truly seeking God, God's not going to hide himself from me. He's not going to hide himself from you. If your heart is spiritually responsive, the word of God's not going to be a mystery. It comes alive. It's only those who are not truly seeking God who get left in the dark. What the parables do, you see, is they test the spiritual responsiveness of those who hear them. The parables of Jesus, as, as with any of the word of God, they have the power to save. They have the power to renew. They have the power to transform. But only if our hearts are responsive. And so, much more important than understanding binary is having a heart that seeks the word of God and gets the word of God. Because whenever the word of God is preached, it's just like that binary illustration. Some people will get it and others won't. And that's what the parable of the sower is all about. It's about spiritual responsiveness of those who hear the word of God. Righto. Being an ex-farmer, I get this parable. Do the farmers here get this parable? Do you get it? Yeah, yep, it's a good one. Uh, I reckon it's my favourite one. Uh, by the way, Jesus didn't call it the parable of the sower. That's just a name that we've given it to give it a name. I reckon a better name would be the parable of the soil types because that's really what it's about. And any good farmer knows just how critical good soil is for cropping. Now, is this parable about our initial response of being saved? Well, yes, it is. But it's also about our ongoing spiritual responsiveness to the word of God. Because God continues to speak daily into our lives. And, and that, this is the beauty of the parables. Uh, they reveal a spiritual principle to us that applies to us at all different stages in our life. And so when you, it'll appeal, there's a message here for those who aren't believers. But there's also a message here for people who have been walking with God for ages. There's also a message here for people who have been getting distracted from the things of God. And there's a message here for people, well, they sort of made a commitment to God at some stage, but then they've fallen away. So let's have a look at it. The seed that is sown is the word of God. Now, farming practices have obviously changed a lot since first century Galilee. Uh, if I was to visit any of the irrigation farms here in St George today, I'd probably find a lovely maxi-merge planter in the shed. I think they'd be back in the shed. They all back in the shed by now, Adre? Yep, everyone's finished planting. Um, 
or the equivalent. Equipment designed to put seed in nice straight rows at an equal depth with an accurate seed spacing between each seed. They're very precision planters these days. Even our broadacre farmers are probably running parallelograms of some sort so that they can plant at an even depth and everybody's using fixed row spacings. But there once was a time when sowing had to be done by hand. It was called broadcasting. And it's basically exactly the same way as I fertilise my lawn today. You have a bucket of seed and you grab a handful of seed and you throw it out. And with a bit of practice, you can actually get pretty accurate at this and get a pretty even distribution, provided the wind stays the same as you're doing it. But, and it's mostly effective, but it's certainly not accurate. So every time I fertilise my lawn, I end up with some on the path, which I should sweep off or hose off with a hose, but I usually just leave it there and I'm hoping it'll make the path grow a bit, be a bit, bit more concrete, but it never seems to do that. So it's mostly effective, but it's certainly not, not accurate. And so the word of God, the good news of Jesus, is planted out into the world. It's broadcast out into the world. And when the word of God is broadcast, it lands in all sorts of different places and into all sorts of different people. And some of it lands on the hard road. Now, this time of year is harvest time, although it came to a close very quickly this year because there wasn't much wheat harvest this year because it's been so dry. But this time of year is the time of year when pink and grey feathers tend to litter the radiators of cars. Uh, why? Well, I think you know why. Because the trucks on the road, the tailgates don't always seal exactly properly and they just have a tiny little trickle of grain out of some of them as they travel. And so you end up with little bits of grain on the bitumen and what happens? Well, the galahs come in and, ooh, I'll have that bit of grain. And when a galah fills its belly up on grain, it sort of needs a bit longer runway and a bit longer time to take off and get airborne and often they're just not out of the way before you get there with your car and boom, you, you've got them. And some people are like that hard road. When the word of God is preached, everyone gets to hear it. But some people are like that hard road. The seed lands on it, just bounces along a little bit. And then the birds just come in and take it away. Satan comes in and steals it away. You could say it's like water off a duck's back when the word of God is, when they hear the word of God. They hear the word, but they don't hear it. They don't think on it. They don't ask God for insight. Their hearts are dull. They don't understand. And they don't even try to understand. And I've seen this, I bet you have too, when you start sharing with someone about the things of God, that, that which we know is most precious to us is knowing about Jesus, our Saviour, and we start sharing that which is most precious to us with somebody else and their eyes just glaze over. And you know they've stopped listening and they're just trying not to be rude and walk away. What's going on? The word of God is falling onto a hard road and Satan's just snatching it away before it takes it, before it has any chance to, to even germinate. And so the first soil type 
is a hard heart that's totally closed off to God. The second soil is the stony ground. Now, this is a strange sort of a soil, stony ground. Um, the thing is, with stony ground, sometimes you can get a really good strike on stony ground. And some people find this hard to believe, but I've experienced this. A crop can sometimes come up faster in stony soil than what it does in good soil. And some of you will be going, no, that's crazy. In fact, I read a commentary and they said, oh, there's no agricultural reason for this. Rubbish. There's a very good agricultural reason for this. I've seen it happen. You see, when a paddock is stony, when there's lots of stones in the soil, there's less soil. So that means when you get a fall of rain, the same amount of rain falls on less soil. Right? Rocks don't absorb the moisture, but the little bit of soil that is there gets extra, extra moisture into it. So stony ground, the little bit of dirt that is amongst the stones, gets wet faster. And when you plant the crop, it gets up and gets away and it gets going faster than where there's no stones because it's more moisture. But that's only for a little while. As soon as the plant gets any size about it, its roots are spreading, but there's nowhere for them to spread to. And they can't get enough moisture out. And I've had a, had a patch of soil. We used to live up on a rocky ridge out north of Dolby. And um, there was only one little area there. It was like on a basalt ridge. One little area there where there was some decent soil, but there was rocks all through it. And I'd plant some corn in that. And it'd get up and it'd get going, great guns. But then it'd get to about that high. And even if you watered it every day, by midday when the hot sun beat down upon it, it just couldn't get enough moisture into itself. And it'd just wither and die. And some people, when they hear the word of God, they immediately receive it with joy but their faith is short-lived. Why is it short-lived? What happens? When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, is that the fault of tribulation and persecution? No, it's not actually. Tribulation and persecution, sadly, are a normal part of the normal Christian life. There is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. In places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Eritrea, Libya, Christians are being targeted and murdered for being disciples of Jesus. Now, in our land, that's not happening. We're not getting killed for our faith in Jesus. At least not yet, we're not. But if we publicly hold to the word of God, we'd better be prepared to be criticised, ridiculed, humiliated, and even targeted. In recent years, Christians are becoming increasingly targeted for holding to the word of God, especially on issues of sexuality and marriage, um, they've been getting taken to task under various anti-discrimination acts across the states of Australia. 
Uh, in the Australian newspaper, only yesterday, there was an article. I'll read it to you. So this is in a secular newspaper. Christians are being run out of business, hounded by boycotts and bullied by activists for adhering to their faith a year after the celebrated same-sex marriage vote. In a sign, Australia faces a crisis of freedom. The Weekend Australian can reveal a successful international wedding magazine that chose not to feature gay couples will today announce its decision to shut down after becoming the target of an intimidation campaign. The founders of White magazine, Christians Luke and Carla Burrell, said that they were targets of an activist campaign that deterred their advertisers, frightened their staff, and included threats of physical harm because of their stand on same-sex marriage. Basically what this couple did um, was they made the decision that their magazine wasn't going to feature photos and articles about same-sex weddings. They were just going to continue on as they always have. And so rather than the activists saying, well, I just won't buy your magazine, they were actively targeted um, with a campaign to try and stop advertisers from advertising in that magazine. They contacted the advertisers and said, hey, if you, if you continue to support this magazine with your advertising dollar, we're going to run a campaign against your business. And you know what happens, don't you? The advertising dollar dried up. Under Queensland's new abortion laws, if a woman asks her Christian doctor to kill her baby, that doctor is now legally obliged to either do it or if they refuse to do it, they must refer them to somebody who will. They're not allowed to say, no, I just won't take any part in this. They have to actually write them a referral to somebody else. And if they don't, they've broken the law. And they themselves get referred as a matter of professional conduct. Be under no illusion, there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus in Australia today. But there's only a cost if we're serious about responding to God's word. If we are serious about responding to God's word, there will be a cost associated with that. And those who have no root in themselves, those whose faith is shallow, as soon as the world comes against them because of their faith in Jesus, because of their obedience to God, as soon as the world comes against them, then they'll quickly fall away. And so the stoning ground are those who fall away from discipleship when the pressure comes on. By the way, once again, um, those who hold to the human teaching of once saved, always saved are going to have a fair bit of trouble with this parable. Because here, Jesus is talking about people who have come to faith. They eagerly received the gospel. They started off growing. But their faith was short-lived and they fell away. What this is talking about is... what. Well, I guess the term we give it is apostasy. That's where you start out as a believer, start out as a disciple in Jesus, but then you lose your faith and you turn your back on it. It's, not, it's just not worth it. 
Righto. The next soil type. Weeds. Is anyone here old enough to remember the old Madovan ad that used to be on the TV? These weeds, very nasty, very greedy. Nobody else remembers it? Only me. Ah, it was a favourite. All farmers hate weeds. One of the most important crop management decisions is weed control. Because crops don't compete very well with weeds. Weeds are prolific seeders. They're seeds carried by the wind and animals and water. They pop up where you least expect them and they're vigorous. They choke out the crop. Their root system is extensive. They starve the crop of valuable moisture and nutrients. And I think the scriptures there talked about thorns, right? They're the worst kind because they do all of that plus they're prickly. Now, the crop, when it gets weeds amongst it, a crop will usually continue to exist, but its yield, when the weeds are thick, can become almost negligible. Okay, so the first soil type we had was the seed thrown onto the hard ground. And that's those who don't even make a start in faith. The second soil type was the stony ground. That's those who respond to the gospel and they endure for a little while, but then when they're confronted by persecution or tribulation because of their faith, they then fall away. Their faith is short-lived. It ends. The third soil type, the weeds, is discipleship that survives but is unproductive. It's unfruitful. And listed here are three things that choke out the word of God. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. Now, at this point, it becomes pretty clear that, it's, that this parable isn't just about our initial response to Jesus. This parable isn't just about whether we're saved or not. It's about fruitfulness. This parable is about fruitfulness. Jesus' intent is for his disciples to be fruitful. You know, as disciples of Jesus, we're not meant to just merely exist. Way too many followers of Jesus are content to just be and just exist. Jesus doesn't want us to just exist. He wants us to be fruitful. And so this is about how we spiritually respond to all of God's word. You see, as disciples of Jesus, the word of God continually points us to focus on God and to focus on his eternal kingdom. Obedience to Jesus means living for this eternity. And it's only when we've got our eyes fixed on Jesus and it's only when we spiritually respond to the word of God that we can truly be fruitful. In fact, fruitfulness is spiritually responding to the word of God. I was going to say that again. Fruitfulness is spiritually responding to the word of God. You see, the fruit of the Spirit are things like love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And these fruit develop in our lives as we hear the word of God and, and the spirit of God inside of us helps us to turn our hearts towards the word of God. But the problem is the things of the world are always trying to distract us from these things. You see, the world has its own priorities, as temporary as what they are, and the world thinks that you are crazy for holding on to God's eternal priorities. And because we live in this world, and we're so much a part of this world, it gets so ingrained into us, this whole world system, this thing that we know as our culture, and it's hard to break free of it. And it's so easy to get distracted by it. Cares of the world, or the NIV calls it the worries of life. We all have worries in life, don't we? Stuff that take our attention away from God. Desires for other things, the deceitfulness of riches, all, all sorts of stuff in this world competes for our attention. And it tells us that they enter in and they choke the word. Right? These are external things, external desires that we choose to let come into our lives and what happens when they come in they choke the word and we become unfruitful you see Jesus calls us as his disciples to be radically different to the world but here we are are we really that different when we let the desires of the world in what do they do? They seem to tone down our response to God, don't they? We might still respond to God a little bit, but, oh, you know, that's, that's going a bit too far if I go to that extreme in obedience. But now here's a picture of good soil. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. By the way, that's a pretty good crop, 100-fold. Right, so let's think we're planting wheat here. You know, in decent country, you might be planting wheat at 50 kilograms to the hectare, 100-fold. That's a five-ton to the hectare crop. Dry land farming, that's pretty good. And that's with modern farming techniques and modern varieties. Imagine what varieties you'd be trying to grow crops with back in Galilee a couple of thousand years ago, a hundredfold would be a massive bumper crop. What sort of soil type we are will determine how, how we spiritually respond to God's word and therefore how fruitful we become. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' parables, they always seem to call for a response. Now, we could look at all this and go, well, I am what I am. That's just the way I am. Yeah, I'm a bit stony. Yeah, I'm a bit thorny. There's a bit of this stuff happening. But, you know, at the end of this parable, verse 9, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Now, whenever Jesus says that, he's not talking about audio processing, right? He's not saying you've got ears, so therefore let the vibrations of the sound get converted into electrical impulses that can get interpreted by your brain as sounds. That's not what he's saying. This is a demand for a response. What do you think the response that he's demanding is? Be good soil. What he's saying is allow the word of God to be fruitful in your life. See, it's not just about recognising how broken the world is. It's not just about recognising how unfruitful I am or how worldly I am or how faithless I am. This is a demand for a response. How does God want us to respond? Allow the word of God to be fruitful in our lives. Right? Jesus is talking in parables so some people don't get it. Why don't they get it? It's because something is making them impervious to the word of God. But you know what? That can change. That can change. There is nobody so far gone that they cannot turn their hearts towards God and allow the word of God to become fruitful in their life. There are many people today who are strong believers who for many years heard the word of God and just rejected it outright. But then something changed. Somehow the Holy Spirit got a big set of rippers in there and ripped up the road and turned it into soft soil that received the word of God. Today's a message for us all. Some of us might be like that hard road. And as soon as we start hearing the gospel, our eyes just glaze over and it's all just like seed bouncing along the hard ground. It's never going to go in. It's never going to take root. Well, God's word to you today would be soften your heart. Soften your heart. It's time. It's time to allow the word of God to take root in your life. And you know it. It's time to stop rejecting it. It's time to stop pushing against it. It's time to stop deflecting the word of God and take it in. Let it germinate. I want to talk to the young people. Your parents may have been bringing you to church for years. And you may have been hearing the word of God for years and it's just been, oh yeah, just bounces off, bounces off. This is something we have to do. When I get old enough, I'll leave home and I don't have to come to church again and oh, that'll be so much easier. I want you to hear today. It's not by accident that you are here today. It's time. It's time for your heart to be good soil to receive the word of God and make the decision, yes, Jesus is going to be Lord of my life. So I want you to remember it's only those who are spiritually responsive to the word of God who will understand, turn and be forgiven. Some of us might be like the stony ground. 
And at some stage a long time ago, maybe you heard the gospel, you received the gospel, and you were excited about this new journey that you were on with Jesus, but then you copped it from someone. Those issues came up, and, and you being a good, new, excited Christian, you stood up for your faith and go, well, this is my position on it because this is what God teaches me, and everybody ridiculed you, and they laughed at you. Some people started hating you. You were thought less of. You had no idea it was going to be like that. And you found it so much harder to be a Christian. And so your faith only lasted for a little while and, and it ended up being something you could say, that was just a phase I went through in my life. Well, God's word to you today would be remember your first love. Remember your first love. Return to what you did at first. Let the joy of God's word take root in your life. Again. Only this time have a bit of depth. You're coming into it this time with your eyes wide open. You now know that the life of a disciple of Jesus isn't going to be easy. It's not something that's going to make you popular in this world. And at times it's going to be jolly tough. It's going to put you on the outer but because now you know, now you've got a bit of depth in your faith and you know you're going to endure. Some of us might be like the thorny ground. And yeah, we believe in Jesus. We see ourselves as disciples of Jesus, but we so easily get distracted by things. Ooh, something shiny. We get so easily distracted by everything that makes up the messiness and the busyness of life. Home, family, friends, television, social media, romance, work, business, investments, sports, health, fitness, hobbies, studies, accumulating a nest egg, getting a nice home together, career. And you find that all of this stuff competes for your attention and, and it distracts you from God and it hinders your response to God. And God's word to you today would be fix your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, it might have all of that other stuff going on, but if any of that is going to hinder your response to Jesus, throw it off. You don't need it. Throw off everything that's going to hinder you. And don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted. Be good soil. You see, verse 20, it's the key here. The good soil are those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Every one of us has the potential to be that good soil. Every one of us have the potential to be fruitful Christians. But only when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Right, so we're going to leave that at this point. And next time we come together in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to continue on with this. We're going to pull in the next two parables that come after this into this one 
and, and talk some more about it. But the message I want us to go home with today is the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Being good soil is being spiritually responsive to the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Lord, I want to thank you that it is so powerful. I want to thank you that it's alive, it's living, it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it cuts. Sometimes it cuts. Sometimes, sometimes it heals. Sometimes it cuts us down. Sometimes it builds us up. And Lord, today we just want to give our hearts to you totally. Lord, we confess that we haven't always been good soil. Or maybe we're rarely good soil. We have worried too much about what other people think of us. We have worried too much about things of this world. And we've actually, we have toned down our response to you. Instead of being those keen, radical disciples that you call us to be, we've sometimes we sort of get all wishy-washy and we tone ourselves down and And we've become weak. We've become like plants just getting strangled out. Lord, we want to give to you anew our hearts. But Lord, we, we ask that you would do your soil improving on our hearts. That you would give us a depth of faith. And a depth of love for you that won't just see us through. That, so that we're not just disciples who exist, but that we would be disciples who are fruitful. That the fruit of your spirit would grow in our lives. Lord, grow us into a good crop, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.